we're going to try to move through this one in one lesson, which I think we can. Okay. So we are talking about the use of commentaries. And so if you don't know what a commentary is, sometimes they're the notes of a study Bible. Sometimes there's a one volume, all Bible commentary. There's commentary sets. But they're basically scholars and pastors who make comments on the passage to kind of help you to interpret it. Have you guys use commentaries when you study? Right. Yeah, show of hands, that's right. So why, why are some people hesitant to use commentaries? Why might they be reluctant to do so? I think sometimes there's this you're the fear of being swayed by something that's not yeah. scriptural. You're fearful that you know it's not as yeah. authoritative. Uh -huh. So you don't get the wrong commentary. You know. Yeah, Gabe? Okay. The moment that you read a commentary, if you've not diverged or put forth your your due diligence into the study of what yeah. the text is, you've already introduced a bias into the what your mind yeah. frame on it is. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be honest. I love watching the Chosen the TV series. Mm -hmm. But Jesus now looks like that actor in my mind, right? <laughs> it's one of those things where you kind of get something kind of fixed in your mind, yeah. and it's kind of hard to... You hear his voice. When you, you hear his voice. Oh, I... Do you know what I'm saying? So being able to really kind of study the word on your own, it can be difficult if you've got a commentary in the mind, right? But how, how can commentaries be helpful? How have you guys been helped by commentaries? Go. One thing that helps me a lot of times is uh, just connecting other parts of scripture. Many times they'll say, you know, this this is the third time or second this issue has been treated again in this passage or uh -huh. cross references or back kind of backstory to maybe some of the people, the author or the context. Mm -hmm. If there's names in there and you're not sure who that is, mm -hmm. um, just gives you a lot greater context a lot of times. Yeah. The historical and cultural context. Mm -hmm. I don't know a whole lot about, you know, ancient yeah. Israel, and so, like, some of the laws and things like that, like, why, why does yeah. that matter? Why was that important? What would that have done to the culture? Yeah. Like John chapter 4, the woman went to the well when? In the middle of the day. You know, why? Of course, that's when I'd go shopping, wouldn't you, right? But then you realize that the middle of the day was the hottest part of the day and that normally people draw water in the morning or the evening. So she was trying to do it when nobody would notice her, right? So that would be something that you wouldn't inherently pick up by just reading the Bible, right? Other reasons why commentaries can be helpful? I don't read Greek, so when people uh -huh. talk about like what original Greek words were used in the passage and give the okay. little where they've spent more time studying, it's obviously very good to, yeah. to hear that perspective. Yeah. I mean, they kind of help you become more familiar with the languages. So yeah. what would you say to somebody who says, you know, I don't need a commentary. I've got the Bible. The Bible's all I need, right? Just lock me in the room with the King James Bible, and I'm good. Hmm. Yeah. That's the thing into it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's not necessarily recognizing a certain bias that we might have, right? I think it makes you sound really, really spiritual, but isn't necessarily wise. Okay. Uh, because you can look at um, multiple commentaries from multiple people and figure out what is what is the majority, or if I really trust this one person, mm -hmm. they say, where can I get wisdom from them? Yeah. Because by not looking at any commentaries, you're just, mm -hmm. how do you know what your interpretation is the actual truth of it? Yeah, I do know if you're, yeah. To other people, and you know you're on the right track. Yeah. Other thoughts? Well, and it's, it's a tool, so like, analogy might be a, I wouldn't want a master carpenter to say, you know, I don't use any power tools, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm a master, right? I don't want to be influenced by their ability to help me do the quicker, faster, more efficiently. Yeah. Right? Like, use, use all the tools that you have at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you ever listen to a sermon, right? Isn't the sermon the same thing as a commentary? I mean, that's kind of what I do every Sunday. So if somebody's like, I, I can't learn from anybody, you know, there's probably some, um, some deeper issues there. You know what I'm saying? It sounds spiritual, but it's not. Okay? So commentaries, I think that's just it. They're, they're just very helpful tools. But not all commentaries are equal. Right, But um, before we get there, here's the usefulness of the commentaries. I'll just kind of read it off this list. They often impart valuable historical background information, which you would not acquire through normal observation. Okay, you brought that up. They often provide some very detailed word studies, often drawn from extra-biblical sources. So Gabe, you kind of brought up the whole Greek, Hebrew, you can't see that. Uh, they give you good leads on other books or passages, which may answer your questions. Scott brought that one up. Uh, when there's a controversial passage, they will explain the different possibilities and give guidance for the best one. So when Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians 15, otherwise, you know, why are we baptized for the dead? Right? What does that mean? Right? I guess there's 50-some possibilities there. You can find it in the commentary. Um, they can be used to check your interpretation. In other words, they will help you to discern if you are way off and left field with your conclusions. Right, so Pam brought that one up, right? So it's a way of, you know, how do, how do you know if you're even in the general ballpark, right? Mm -hmm. And like good sermons, they can be extremely devotional and helpful in internalizing the text. I, I've often found that. Um, yeah, I, I go to a lot of commentaries, and I get a lot of really good insights. I mean, they're really, they're really helpful. So can you think of any other benefits for using a commentary? One thing, too, is that just depending upon when and where it's written, it can help uh, ground you and kind of separate you from your own cultural time period context where maybe there's your youth or something, just in light of the time, the place that you live now, and then looking back through history, different times, different places, uh -huh. and see that am I importing something that's not yeah. been there that other people haven't seen, so that would be a big red Flag. Yeah, I thought there's some commentaries that are written by missionaries, which are really interesting. Like there's this one I was reading where the guy was based out of Sri Lanka. And he kind of gave a different perspective as far as, because whether we know it or not, there's just certain issues that we might be more drawn to mm -hmm. than somebody in another another culture. Yeah, Gabe? Um, I think it, I, re, I really liked what you said there. I think there was something there on, you can use it to gauge your own interest interpretation so yeah. 
that actually comes with a really nice um, implication. So say you've written out, I think this passage means this. Mm -hmm. You can just go to it and check it. And then if your interpretations over time are seem to be coming more and more and more in line with yeah. the, the good solid commentary, yeah. that means that there seems to be growth mm -hmm. in your understanding. Yeah. And that, that seems to be a more it's a post tool, not a pre tool. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of tools, you want to make sure it's a good one, right? Yeah. So here, here are some marks of a good commentary, okay? Is the commentary exegetical, study of the text, homiletical, a sermon in print, or both? For those students serious about interpreting the Bible, you want someone who will help you to answer your questions. Therefore, you really want, what you really want in a commentary is exegesis. That's where they're lifting the meaning out of the text. So they're telling you just kind of what the text means. Uh, is the commentary based on the original language? Does the author have a working knowledge of Greek or Hebrew? And are the original languages the real source of his comments? Or is he just commenting on the Bible? Does that make sense? Is he looking, can you tell he's looking past the words of the translation to the Greek words themselves? And if guy's not doing that, you know, have second thoughts there. When the text has more than one possible meaning, does the author discuss all possible meanings and then give clear reasons for interpretive choices? Right? So, and, and this lets you know, has you read broadly on the topic? Right? Does he kind of know the arguments for and against the different points of view? Does the author discuss textual critical, pro textual critical problem? In other words, when you notice in your margin some manuscripts do not include, does the author bring it up? Does the author offer important historical background of the text in important places? Does the author give you bibliographic information so that you can engage in further study? Um, and some, sometimes those are, are pretty helpful if you look at the footnotes and you have the resources to kind of go beyond. Does the introduction to the commentary give you good enough historical information so that you may have a good sense of the occasion of the book? And by introduction, like every commentary always starts off with, you know, the time, place, and situation. So uh, about 10% of the commentary just kind of introduces you to the book, and then you kind of go into the comments themselves. And so sometimes you want to just look, and, and if you kind of just look at the commentary, um, you know, how detailed is that? How helpful is that? If you don't, the, uh, and I, I'd even say this, like some commentaries are very technical and there's nothing wrong with you saying, you know what, that's just not for me. Does that make sense? Instead of trying to labor to read something, like if they're just quoting Greek out there, then it's probably not for you, yeah, for you which, which is fine. Um, there's a lot of commentaries that are very readable. I'm gonna recommend some to you uh, a little bit later on. But then you have when to use a commentary. So, quote, uh, you go to a commentary after you've done your own work. The reason you eventually consult a commentary is to find answers to the content questions that have arisen in your own study. At the same time, of course, a commentary will alert you to questions you fail to ask, but perhaps should have. So what's the danger of going to a commentary too early? Danger Gabe again. said it a little bit ago. It's like it can warp your perception of the text before you even read it. Yeah, Chris. You can say you start using it as the kind of like a main reference more than the actual word. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Other thoughts? Does it train you how to study it yourself? Mm-hmm. Just filling up with that instead of actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something to do. <laughs> 
learning how to find the answers yourself. It's like you're always taking a shortcut. You're always leaning on something else. <coughs> yeah, and, and I think what you'll find is uh, when you go to a commentary, it can be really encouraging. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw that. Oh, I saw that. That's what I thought. Does that make sense? It's also really nice when you find out you're wrong. You're like, well, that was completely wrong. I'm glad I... <laughs> yeah. Or I, I never even thought about that. Or there's times when I never even thought about that question. It's really nice to actually be told, no, that's wrong. It's exactly. okay. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a, there's a place where it, it can teach you. It's like, okay, I did that right, but I did that wrong. Or I totally missed that question. And then you kind of learn. You kind of go from there, right? So there's kind of a mentoring relationship that you can have with the commentary. Um, conversely, what might be the danger of not going to a commentary at all? It's okay if I don't look over there. It's fine, right? You know, it's that mindset. Like, if I don't, if I don't look at this commentary, I, it, you know, you, yeah, you're avoiding something that you could obviously use. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you some of my personal experience. When I when I see people who are never go to a commentary, never do any of this, if you have a teacher who brags about not looking at commentaries and says you shouldn't either, that's almost cultish. You know what I'm saying? I'm the what you know, don't trust anybody else, just trust me. That's almost cultish. Yeah. And um I think it can almost be pride where, yeah, I know better than these other people, and I don't need them. You know, what do they know? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Instead of just having a real humble posture that there's a lot more to this text than I realize, and I can really benefit from you know, other godly men and women who have studied the text quite thoroughly and um, have given me some good pointers. Right? And not all commentaries are equal, but, I mean, there are some good ones out there. I had someone say to me that they would just trust the Holy Spirit to reveal what the scripture says. We weren't going to listen to sermons or on the topic or go to commentaries because I'm going to read it and the Holy Spirit is going to teach me. Okay. So what do you say to that? I like what you said, that there's like, to me, that's prideful and arrogant yeah. because you're not like, you're not as well studied. And this person was not as well studied. Mm -hmm. as men who've gone through seminary or you know, preached for years and years and dug and yeah. it just was it was scary yeah it's cult like mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of a, like if you're placing an, an own value on your own intellect over a <coughs> commentary yeah. that's, that's very prideful and that's idolatrous and you should you should look to like that that's placing yourself to like that that wouldn't be a situation where the spirit could work mm -hmm. within you or work and show a commentary to you and have mm -hmm. you utilize that in a, in okay. if you're dead set against it you know but somebody will say this okay well I go to first John chapter 2 verse 26 to 27 I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you but the anointing that you have received from him who abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it taught you to abide in him. So look right there, I don't have, I don't need anyone to teach me, I've got an anointing. 
response. You guys might want to look at a commentary to see what they <laughs> say to this. How, how would you respond to that? What's really interesting is, now what's John doing when he's writing this? Teaching. He's teaching, right? So it, this would be a self-defeating statement if this was absolute. Does that make sense? But yeah, I think what it is, is it's, he's talking about a heresy where these her heretics are presenting themselves as teachers. <coughs> They're teaching something that's clearly contrary to what the Spirit is teaching, <coughs> right? So clearly it's not you don't need any teachers because Paul teaches about the importance of teachers, right? Um, John is teaching and instructing through all this. Uh, it's kind of a specific thing about when somebody says you need to be enlightened and you need this enlightenment, John's saying you have more than that because you have the anointing, you have the Holy Spirit that teaches you. So I, I put it this way, that the Holy Spirit um, helps us to understand when a doctrine is bad. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit gives us a sense where that doesn't smell right. Yeah, and oftentimes it's it's the opposite. Like a way to avoid falling into heresy is not removing commentaries. It's like having a multitude yeah. of commentaries. Same thing with like how do we know that a certain uh, New Testament New Testament text is accurate? It's not that we look at that only that one. We look at all the variants and compare them to one another. Yeah. And like in First Corinthians, you know, he's, he's talking about the church, not uh, Jesus or the apostles, but talks about, you know, talking about the gifts that no one can say, I don't need you, that there's given teachers to the church. So there's a lot of scriptural, okay, well, what does the scripture yeah. mean here when it says to, you, you need yeah. the teachers in the body, you need the gifts that God's given yeah. those teachers for yeah. purposes. Yeah, and I think a proper understanding the internal testament of the Holy Spirit is we can recognize the voice of God, that this is what God says. You recognize when it's not the voice of God. But that doesn't mean you can't be assisted to find out exactly what he's saying. Does that make sense? So, um, so again, when somebody says no commentaries, there's, you know, there's probably some issues there, Pam, as you pointed out. So... We're going to look at some mistakes we can make with commentaries. So I've got a list here. Um, one, we go to them too early, right? We kind of talked about getting the cart before the horse. Uh, it kind of short circuits your ability to learn <coughs> to be a Bible student on your own. Uh, using too few commentaries, Proverbs 18, 17, the first to plead his case seems just until another comes and examines him. Uh, sometimes it's good to just kind of read different points of view. Get three or four ones that you can trust. And if they're all saying the same thing, it's like, okay, I, I kind of see where they're going. But sometimes they might have a good argument for some other understanding. Uh, using too many commentaries, uh, analysis paralysis, you ever heard of that? Where, 
I mean, you're reading 13 to 14 different commentaries and you are just, I don't know what to think. And that can just really bog you, you down. Um, yeah, I usually recommend four to seven, you know, kind of in, in that range of commentaries. Um, you can rely on them too heavily. Uh, the MacArthur Study Bible came out shortly before I enrolled in seminary. And there was always a joke about the next edition where the study notes were going to be in the red letters. But no. We thought it was funny at the time. But there was kind of like this idea that he's infallible. Do you know what I'm saying? And so if you're always kind of quoting from the same person, right? The MacArthur Study Bible says this, or this says this. Um, they can stop you from really thinking for yourself. Because then you even get into this well, let's exegete the notes of the MacArthur Study Bible because there's two ways we could take this sentence, right? So you get a commentary on the commentary, which is kind of what the Jews did uh, as well. Even the Roman Catholic Church does, you know, commentary on commentaries, and it go, becomes endless. You want to kind of stick close to the source material as much as possible. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said, too. Like, when, as you're selecting those commentaries, just like um, you when you're joining a church, right, there's certain things that you look for in terms of how do they interpret scripture, what's their hermeneutic, so you're not just randomly cho choosing, but you're choosing from things that align with the way that you um, uh -huh. interpret scripture, because mm -hmm. then you can get a variety that's within the same vein, I guess, of yeah. kind of um, your method of, of studying the Bible, because yeah. you, you can get wildly different ones that you can kind of eliminate without even yeah, kind of going into that vein, I guess. Yeah. I think you can be afraid to disagree with them. You know, it's okay to disagree mm -hmm. with how you take certain things. Um, now, if you can't find any single commentary that supports your point of view, I mean, you'd have to think long and hard before taking that. I'm not saying it's impossible. Um, but at some point in time, you have to stand on your interpretation and and how you understand it, right? Um, or we take their word for it. Um, yeah, it's not enough to just say, well, this is, you know, they say it means this. Well, why do they um, believe that? Um, what is their line of reasoning, right? Does that even make sense? What are some underlying assumptions uh, that they may have? Um, <coughs> Like, I'm going through um, the Sermon on the Plan that just completed that. And one of the big issues that I had to work through is, is the Sermon on the Plain the same sermon as the Sermon on the Mount? And they're both basically recording uh, the same event. Mm -hmm. And to kind of get to below the surface of that, the people who say it's the same sermon um, embrace something called the documentary hypothesis. That the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are based off of Mark and this other document named Q, and Luke and Matthew wrote them using these two sources to kind of accomplish their own agenda. And so there's a lot of speculation about what's in this Q. Q means, uh, stands for quella, which is German for source, right? So it's kind of like this big debate in, among gospel scholars. Uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to that because they haven't found any, you know, I think a lot of that is just um, based off of some higher criticism, some liberal takes on um, 
you know, just how the Gospels were formed. There's a lot of issues with that. And so I'd say the Sermon on the Plains is a standalone sermon from the Sermon on the Mount. And so I had to be very careful not to try to re-explain, you know, just use the Sermon on the Mount as a commentary on the Sermon on the Plains. Does that make sense? So a lot of it is you kind of have to get to the reasoning of why do they believe this. Or if you read something on Exodus, some people would say that Moses is not the author. And that conclusion is based off of other conclusions that they made. And why did they come to those conclusions? Does that make sense? So you really kind of have to know, you know the understanding and even the theology of the commentator. Now that doesn't mean that people who would disagree with it on that are, are useless. They might have some really good historical backgrounds and linguistic background. Um, but you'd want to know the weaknesses of every commentary that you read. Does that make sense? They're really good for this. Like, uh, if you read a sermon, sermons are really good for like application and how to you know preach it. And so it's good advice if you have a teaching ministry. And I usually might save those towards the very end. Right? Those are the last commentaries I read. It's, it gives me more of doesn't necessarily inform me about the text, but informs me how to teach it. And that kind of is you know careless in your selection of commentaries. Uh, a lot of commentaries are written by liberal scholars who uh, don't believe in the authority uh, uh, of scripture. And I'd say from, you know, for people who are just getting started, I would just stay away from those commentaries entirely until you kind of have more of the background to know how to answer a lot of their objections and get a feel for their assumptions. Okay? Any questions about that? <coughs> So getting started, um, I'm going to give you kind of three recommendations for commentaries, right? It's Christmas time. If you haven't gotten that special someone their gift yet, hey, might want to start. And we'll just kind of look at the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so, um, I think a great resource is the MacArthur Study Bible, okay? The MacArthur Study Bible, it's uh, written basically by the faculty of the Master's Seminary where I went to school. And, uh, you know, it gives really, really helpful comments. Now, one thing that you'll notice about the MacArthur Study Bible is it doesn't necessarily hold two views side by side. And I think there's some advantages to that. Like, if you have a new Christian, um, and you kind of just give the simple, straightforward explanation, it can be just kind of helpful for them as they get started. If they learn about four different views on the topic when they're reading the Bible for the first time, it can be confusing. Does that make sense? <coughs> yeah, but the notes are pretty solid. They're well thought through. In this case, this is what they say. For God so loved the world, uh, the Son's mission is bound up in the supreme love of God for the evil, sinful world of humanity. Then there's, there's some cross-references. That is in rebellion against him. The word so emphasizes the intensity or greatness of his love. The Father gave his unique and beloved Son to die on behalf of sinful men. Everlasting life, it kind of gives you a note for what that means. Okay, So that's the MacArthur Study Bible. Then you have the ESV Study Bible, um, which is a great resource as well. Extremely thorough, has a lot more in their their introductions, so it's a little bit meatier. It's a very thick Bible too, so there's a lot more content in it. And this is the one where they do kind of break down different controversies 
in the passage. And so if you kind of want to know if there's some debate about it, the ESV Study Bible does a good job of that. Who writes uh, that? Uh, that was produced by Crossway. Okay. And so there's a bunch, of, and, and there's some great scholars there too. And so I, um, I always recommend at least two study Bibles, by the way. Now, if you're going to be serious about studying, I would say get a MacArthur Study Bible and an ESV Study Bible. And you kind of see, you, you kind of see just by this note, right? There's, you know, it's the entries two to three times longer than the MacArthur Study Bible, okay? And, and again, the reason why the ESV Study Bible can be kind of confusing is there's just so much information that for the beginner, it's kind of hard to get a start. Does that make sense? But once you kind of move past that, ESV is really helpful. Yeah. So is the ESV Student Study Bible just like the condensed version? That's condensed, yeah. Is that what you have? Yes. Yeah, so this is a big fat one. And we sell this in the Resource Center. And so at the <coughs> risk of kind of going through it all, um, you know, here's the most famous uh, summary of the gospel in the Bible. Four connects to verse 15 and explains what happened to make someone make it possible that someone can have eternal life. That's through believing in Christ. God so loved the world was an astounding statement in the context because in the Old Testament and other Jewish writings had spoken only of God's love for the people of Israel. God's love for the world made it possible for whoever believes in Christ, not Jews alone, to have eternal life. For God so loved the world was not mere sentiment but led to a specific action. He gave his only son, which John explains elsewhere by sending him to earth as a man to suffer and die and thereby to bear the penalty for sins. On only sons, you note on John 1.14, which contains the same Greek phrase, the purpose of giving his son was to make God's great gift of eternal life available to anyone, to whoever believes in him, that is, whoever personally trusts in him. Not perish means not perish in eternal judgment in contrast to having eternal life, the life of abundant joy and immeasurable blessing in the presence of God forever. Those who believe in Christ have eternal life, already experiences blessings in the present time, not fully, not yet fully, but in some significant measure. Mm -hmm. So you can see there, you know, there's a little bit more meat here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like the, the DSB Study Bible. Just like you said, the introduction's really good. It, it goes through a lot of things, breaking them down the same kind of structure we've talked about in text, like mm -hmm. purpose, time, date, author, audience. There's usually like a map, you know, this is where this happened. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of times there's timeline, you know, this is where, it, this is when it was written before this, after this, if it's like Paul, you know, where was he on his journey or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's kind of, you can bounce around a lot too, because it'll say, see this, see that, and go to there, and there's notes on that, we'll see this, see this. So if you mm -hmm. run into something that you're kind of digging further, you can yeah. keep bouncing around different notes. Yeah, it's a great study Bible. So I would recommend that one. Now, if you want to go a little bit more deluxe, <laughs> the Cadillac, mm -hmm. right? It's uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Andy, didn't you get this one? Yeah. Yeah. How do you like it? Love it. Yeah. So this is. Very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 380 bucks. Somebody really Whoa. loves Andy. But, uh, but um, as far as like a whole Bible commentary, and, and this is what I do. Like, I obviously really drill down deep in the passage I'm going through. But let's say I, I'm going to cross-reference. I usually check the MacArthur Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, then I check this Bible. So, and again, the nice thing that the ESV, MacArthur Study Bible, and this Study Bible is they're all written by evangelical scholars who believe in inerrancy and have a very high view of Scripture. So 
Um, they're not going to necessarily mislead you. But this one, it kind of goes on. It says, commentaries are divided as to whether 16 through 21 are direct continuation of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, or whether they represent the author's comment on Jesus' word. So right there, that's new information, isn't it? Basically, is should John 3.16 be in red letters or not? And then it goes on to kind of explain that. It goes on to talk more about eternal and perish. Um, but this one doesn't necessarily talk about world. Right? So that's not necessarily mentioned here. So even something like the um, Exposer's Bible Commentary uh, is not exhaustive. So you see how having like, you know, some different sources can give you a pretty full picture of the meaning of that passage. Okay, so those are, so th if you want like whole Bible, so those are my, my three recommendations. And I know that the Exposer's Bible Commentary is kind of expensive. You can get it in, um, yeah, like I told you, the Cadillac mm -hmm. is called Logos. Um, you can get it from faithlifeithink.com. Um, you can actually upload it to that for 280 bucks, and you have like a com computer program that does a good job of finding it. So I have the MacArthur Study Bible on it. You can get the ESV Study Bible on it. And so whenever you study, you can get your tablet, you can get your computer. You can even look it up on your phone. It can have all these references side by side. And so um, maybe in the future, I'll just kind of show you what it looks like. It, it is um, somewhat expensive to get started. But if you can get the base package for like 300 to $400, you can start adding to it over your lifetime. And Blue Letter Bible is great. Don't get me wrong. But if you want like some of the commentaries and some more of the update resources, uh, it's super helpful and, and user friendly. If yeah. you say that, um, like in your opinion on the Bible the expositors, is it more like we've kind of talked about how, um, like MacArthur's um, systematic theology versus Grudem's, like mm -hmm. MacArthur takes more of a position on most issues, whereas Grudem kind of presents the the different controversy or mm -hmm. passages, different interpretations, and kind of leaves it to the reader to, mm -hmm. uh, would you say this is kind of, because like it says in that comment, in either case, they yeah. express, is it seem to take a position on most things, or does it kind of make you aware of a lot of the issues? Um, what they usually do is they make you aware of a lot of the issues, but then they usually say, I kind of go with this. Yeah, they give you a And these are the two best ones of these five positions, but I go with this one for these reasons. Yeah. Which I appreciate. So, and there's nothing wrong with John MacArthur's approach in MacArthur Study Bible. I see the benefit of it, to be honest. Yeah, because it. But it, just it, as you are learning mm -hmm. and hearing more voices, it could be helpful. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, reading his, uh, you know, it's it's persuasive because it's it's it takes the definitive stance. This is why out of the different positions, this is why yeah. I hold to this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, if you know, sometimes if you're like studying through a book, you might want to, um, like I know the high school students are, are studying through First John, and so Amberly's been borrowing my First John commentary, and she gave it back to me because she doesn't need it anymore. But sometimes it's good to just kind of have like kind of a you know a one book purchase mm -hmm. 
on what you're going through. So I know a lot of you ladies are going through Ephesians, you know, so you might want to look at what's the best commentary on Ephesians and maybe purchasing that. So you don't need to get it all at once. I'm just saying, like those, the ones that I recommended, that's like the all at once purchase, and then you can kind of just build up the commentary library one by one. I go to bestcommentaries.com. Uh, um, that's where I kind of do my, my research, and they kind of give you some good um, reviews of it. Like if one has more of a liberal persuasion or it's a little bit technical, they'll let you know about that in the review. They might have the best um, lay level commentary. But these are just, you know, just some of the different series that you can get. You know, what's interesting is if you look at the bottom with D.A. Carson, it's on page seven. EBC, that's Expositor's Bible Commentary. So right there it says has the best commentary in Matthew. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good place to start. Um, and then as far as just an application, uh, the best time to use commentaries. Remember how we went through the observations to look at. Um, what the text says, what the text does not say, and then you have a bunch of questions about the text. Commentators, commentaries are really good for answering um, those questions. And so I kind of go back through all the questions to make sure they're all being answered by the commentary. So, I got a question with regard to, we've, so we've talked about what to use, the commentaries, and that, but how to kind of use them like, okay, so okay. you've read through a passage or a chapter, how, how do you go about okay. that? That's a good question. So what I normally do is I, I get my selection of commentaries okay. and I bring it up on my um, Bible software. And then because I hate reading off a computer screen, I print them all off and I number them. Mm. And then what I'll do is I'll get a legal pad and you know, I'll, I'll read it through once and just kind of underline certain things and then I'll read it through again. And what I do is I, I'll have like verse one, verse two, verse three. I kind of have like different verses in the legal pad. Mm -hmm. And then um, like, okay, fruit. Okay, page six, you know, on this little handout thing that I have because I number them. Mm -hmm. You know, has a really good comment on fruit. Mm -hmm. um, oh, also, you know, page 20 does as well. And so I kind of look at the stuff that's been the most helpful, and I kind of organize it that way. And that way, when I kind of actually preach through my message and I get to the part about fruit, I know exactly where to turn to for the best comments on fruit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So otherwise, I'm just kind of hunting for everything all the way yeah. through. So I usually read it twice, and then the second time I, I just kind of I, I have all the notes kind of all there. And that way I can kind of like translate that into a message pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you, I just thought about this this morning, I've never ran across one, but what's your thought on like a female written commentary? I think they're fine. I mean, you look at that command, um, a woman shall not teach or have authority over men, it's in the context of an assembly. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, admittedly, there's far fewer female commentaries. I've never seen one. That's why I asked. Yeah, one of the best ones I recommend, I think, is written. There's a really good one on the Psalms. Linda Belleville on 2 Corinthians. Recommended one there. Now, I will say this. Um, a lot of times with female commentators, you might want to do some background. 
because a lot of them are on the more liberal persuasion. So they wouldn't necessarily be disqualified by their gender, but more by their theology. Does that make sense? Um, but yeah, I don't think it's wrong to sing a Fanny Crosby hymn either. I mean, because she's not leading you know, the congregation in teaching and preaching. So that's my understanding of it. But good question. Other questions or thoughts on commentaries? Um, yeah, well, that's kind of all that I have. We just kind of blasted through that. Maybe you can add in some extra commentary. <laughs> <laughs> extra commentaries? Yeah, another, um, if you're looking for another study Bible that's helpful, the NIV study Bible that they just produced is really good, too. And that's somewhere between the MacArthur study Bible and the ESV study Bible as far as, like, length is concerned, but their comments are super helpful. But I think what you find is like when you piece them all together, they address different topics. And by the end of it, you can have some good feel. But yeah, the NIV study by life, I've really liked it. So I've, I've enjoyed it. Is, it. is that on the old NIV or the... Recent? It's the new one. It's the new one? It's the new one change pronouns and that kind of thing? Well, I mean, and that's when you get into... <laughs> Well, about the, so for instance, when Paul addresses the brethren, um, he's not just addressing just the men in the church. He's addressing the whole congregation, but that's how it was taken during that time. So anytime when you have like a, um, you get into those issues, it, it, you know, the people who have the more gender inclusive language, sometimes they do have um, a genuine concern which is he wasn't just speaking to the male members of the church. It wasn't an, an inclusive term. Now you do get into some issues later on where it begins to kind of change some of the meanings of the um, uh, of certain passages that do teach complementarianism. Now the new NIV, uh, the study Bible is edited by D.A. Carson. And if you know much about him, he's a conservative scholar who would be a complementarian. And so he does it, and even the MacArthur Study Bible has study notes. Uh, they have an NIV version of the MacArthur Study Bible too, right? So the translation, I think when rightly understood, can be very helpful. It's not the one that I prefer to preach out of. Does that make sense? But the NIV, the new NIV one uh, is edited by D.A. Carson, and that's why it's a pretty good, <coughs> it has pretty good notes. But again, you, you, have, to, you have to kind of verify and cross-check all the, commentaries. So I'm not trying to lead you astray. But the NIV does kind of make, I mean, they've made some obvious changes. Like they've even updated the NASB to the Legacy Standard Bible. For instance, Paul, you know, got stoned on Lystra, just doesn't translate well anymore. So it's changed to Paul was pelted with stones. I know, I, I heard that, Amy, you're snickering, so. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> it, it is funny, but you know, it's kind of like, you know, people would read that, you know, like the younger generation would read that and snicker every time, right? So, what's meant by that? Oh, yeah, you That's just made a connection. <laughs> yeah, Paul was doing the ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing, I mean, 
like we've moved away from the King James English because the English language ha has has changed and certain words don't mean what they used to mean anymore. But that's why I want to have like commentaries like that look at the Greek that see beyond the English language. Does that make sense? All right. Any other thoughts? All right. Well, I guess I'll pray, and then you guys are going to have like more time to fellowship and hang out. But we'll do so quietly as we go into the classes in session. Well, Father, I do thank you for these brothers and sisters, and I thank you for the commentaries that we uh, have and the work of scholars who help us to understand the text. And I pray that we'll be very shrewd and judicious in our use of them. Pray for this next element of the worship service that'll be edifying to us and encouraging uh, to all as we think about what exactly happened on Christmas. In Christ's name, amen.